I'm so glad to see that you're feeling better. You had a very close call. But you're gonna be all right. Now, just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. Chicka chicka one two, you know what we gotta do? It's the bearded dicks musical fun time. It's the bearded dicks musical fun time. We're here with the bear dick. It's the bearded dicks. Musical fun time, yeah. Shock. Best opening ever. We nailed it. We nailed it. Well, we're here nailing you, the listener, in the ear holes with needle point dicks. And if you email us at motahellpodcast at gmail.com, maybe we'll nail you in other holes. Probably not, but worth a shot yeah if you want to see a a low fidelity video of me masturbating while on cocaine send your name and your nu- your number to me and i'll send you something that will cripple your soul for life <laughs> because it, i watched it and i did not like it he doesn't even comment it <laughs> no. it just ends with him crying with a soft penis in no, his hand no i never cried in the video but i do not think i reached climax in the at least 45 minutes was this like documentary type i thought it was gonna be hot i just i I was like really act up and i was watching porn and it's just like me there's just like a it's like a semicircle of keystone light cans around me and i'm just i'm just fat my guts like way over my belt got my dick out i'm just jacking on it and i'm slumped over and just railing lines about every 10 minutes just trying to get there and uh i mean i'm sure that i did that night but it it was it was like so sweaty it's so brutal i'm sure someone out there would love it yeah it's like on a little mini cam camcorder it's on a camcorder yeah like a non-digital camcorder so you watched a mini video how did you even watch this it's got a little screen on the side flips out you can rewind it and watch it were you trying to masturbate to it no i just was interested i found it after i got sober and was like well what's this all about and then do you I still was, have it yeah Ooh. i'm maybe, saying listen what i'm saying is maybe if we hit you know patreon eventually and get enough listeners Bonus we'll have content yeah we'll have like a crazy high like ten thousand dollars a month just once, even just one. I think ten thousand dollars is fair enough for your dick to be plastered all over the internet. I'd do it for twenty bucks, but well, I'm t- just saying. All right, well, somewhere between twenty dollars and ten thousand. Yeah, top tier. You get a copy. <laughs> you get the original. I don't want it. You're gonna have it. No, no, no. It's no, interspersed no, no. between a bunch of family home stuff too, so it's like so much better. Oh God, I kind of want to watch it now. I may show you one day. You know what? That's my review. That's going to be my review next time we record the Beer Dicks Musical Fun Time. Is I'm just going to watch that and review that. Worst buy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's not a bad buy. That's a best buy. Okay. Fair enough. Because well, it makes us $10,000. I'm the bearded dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just you now? <laughs> and you're the Musical Fun Time. 
No. That's totally I'm, backwards. I'm Dick Fetty. And I'm Ben the Beardo. Right. Our powers combined. We're bearded. And we're dicked. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to be a little bit different from our usual uh, musical fun time. And by different, we mean basically the same shit as always. Yeah, it's really just we like to hear us talk about things that we like, but we're not picking out like one or a few different things. We're really looking back on the wonderful year that was 2018. We're going to have things we liked. We're going to have situations we liked. Events that we took place in. Yeah. Um, that time positions. we mouth kissed in front of a small, um, unprotected uh, poodle. Mm. I almost went child there, but thought it would be too far. <laughs> but now I said it anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. So happy 2019. Happy New Year. New Year. Yeah, New Year. New queer. New. Yeah, I mean, I'll try anything once. Yeah. I'm a trisexual. Mm. Yum, yum. So, uh, so yeah, I'm going to get this uh, ship underway, I guess, and we'll just trade off on things, or we'll just go me and Let's then just you. fucking ramble, fuck it. All right, ramble, 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 boys. Because I did not prepare anything for this. Awesome. I, uh, I'm going off of a blog post. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, forum post I did on a forum. This is straight from wikipedia.com. <laughs> things that are good. Uh, 2018 category, category. Uh, so yeah, so I guess for me, I had, I was surrounded by people that had bad years. I had a nice one. My 2018 was pretty fucking great. So, um, I guess first highlights being the musical fun time and such. I'll t- I'll talk about records that came out that were killer and a couple live shows. So as far as new releases go, a lot of this stuff has been covered on the show before. So I'm not going to go super into depth with it, um, just because. You can check out some of the older episodes for longer descriptions and reviews and whatnot. Uh, so, no particular order. Grunt, Castra- uh, Castrate the Illusionist, the new Grunt album that came out this year on Freak Animal. Uh, I have the record of it. CD's the same shit. It's really, really good. It's my favorite Grunt album since Paturi and Ruli and... Not my favorite ever. Terran Degeneration will probably always hold that spot, but it's really good. It's got this kind of like a grindcore influence in a certain kind of a way where things just like start and stop mm, almost abruptly, and it's very to the point. There's not a lot of build in the songs. Like they just hit their stride immediately, and it's brutal and nasty. We played Far Cry 4 to it. It was quite enjoyable. Oh, yeah. And, um,. Yeah, so that's that's definitely one of my favorites. I Wonderland Club, which is a newer group out of. Um, we played Far Cry Five to it. Far Cry Five, yeah. Uh, is uh, they're they were Providence based, and then they were well, they were originally Providence DC based, and now it's Providence Chicago based. Two guys. It's an anonymous project. For those who know it, they probably know who they are. But they're doing some really awful, awesome stuff. Uh, their releases are conceptual or more like thematic they're oriented towards one thing or another they did two this year that stood out uh pageant which was on iops a sub-label of freak animal institute of paraphilia studies that one was really good i liked the packaging the theme and all the rest but the music was just didn't hit that upper echelon but their newer release i wish it never happened on black psychosis is just like fucking killer it's two tracks they repeat on both sides i'm pretty sure and it's just like this really fearsome 
and it's not just like American power electronics. It's just really good, like power electronics period. And, uh, big recommendation on that. Linecraft has, um, did two releases this year. My favorite of the two is 33 Purgatories, which was a release on Zatrum, which is an Enzephalia's label. It's a tape. It's way more expensive than it should be because it basically comes with a big insert. And I don't know, I think it cost me like $20 for a fucking tape, which was outrageous, but I'm in love with Linecraft, so whatever. I guess I'm stuck paying it. Uh, but that being said, the music is fucking excellent. It's some of his rowdiest um, stuff that he's done in a while that is less about metal bashing and more about like really rugged ass power electronics industrial shit that's like very reminds me at times of like genocide organ with their sort of broken mm -hmm. sounding shit um there's also a jim jones sample that's pretty long on the second side of the tape which is always like you know kicks it up a notch and uh he played tracks from it live when i saw him in new york which i'll get to later but it's really fucking tasty. I still like, I honestly kind of prefer Apocalypse Factory, his CD from last year, and some other stuff he's done that are more cohesive sounding. Uh, but it's really, really, really good. And he also did a new album on Hospital that's way more subdued called uh, Inner Analysis of Something Something. And that's like on Spotify. So if you haven't heard any Linecraft, you could check it that way or on YouTube and shit. That one's really good too. And I've, I've, I pretty much like it as much as 33 Purgatories, but there's just some, I guess the nastiness factor is a little up on the tape and it's just a good sounding tape. So, um, big recommendation on that. I want to recommend Zyklon SS 10 inch moral war that came out on dare bunker. And for those who follow power electronics, he's a pretty infamous name, infamous dude, infamous project, brutal themes. Um, and it is just like this incredibly grim ass shit from the moment it starts and it intersperses the samples of all this uh white power like ugly shit um into the music super effectively and then the last track on the b-side is a cover of vaginal jesus's happy holocaust which is just like nasty on a bunch of different <laughs> ways and it's like really unsettling stuff uh he he's Definitely my favorite thing he's done so far. I think partially the brevity really makes it super effective and, like, you can just keep replaying it. Um, and then Worth, who's a, an uh, artist out of Providence, he's been going for a long-ass time. He's done a bunch of different stuff. Weak Sisters was his project before this. But he put out an album, actually came out at the end of last year, called Blinder, which is just, like, was a revelation of harsh noise that pretty much everybody who's heard it has just talked nothing but praise since. Um, I didn't hear about it until the beginning of this year, so I'm just going to sneak it into this list. And then he put out a tape called The Steps on New Forces that's also equally excellent. Um, just really good harsh noise stuff. And then as far as non-noise power electronics releases go, a couple mentions I want to do. Um, I talked about Throat's Bareback album that came out earlier this year into August. It's a good album real fucking good i have not listened to it as much as a lot of the other stuff on this list because i only have it on vinyl and i don't have like an mp3 copy of it so i can only listen to it at home and i'm barely ever home but it's really exceptional it's like it's amazing because it's to know the band from where they started to like where they are now it's just like this huge evolution and like they've just really like matured their sound and grown and evolved and like made brought in all this like good shit 
and it's definitely their most diverse LP, but it's also just like really killer and it has an amazingly awesome opening track. So big recommendation there. Portals Ion talked about it before, like Portal are just like at the top of their game doing a whole new thing. I don't really like it as much as Vexavoid, which was just like fucking just so submerged in distortion and like this ultra chasmic abyssal death metal, whatever miasma shit. Ion is like just getting struck in the dick by lightning over and over and over again. Um, but it's awesome for that. And it sounds like, you know, this sort of like steampunk lightning strike on your dick. Like it's just fucking, I think that's pretty much how you described it last time. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's really intense. Listen, um, and really nice packaging. Vomitor's Pestilent Death. I think I described it as like skeletons playing skeleton instruments. <laughs> I stand by that. Very good weightlifting music. Um, a band I w- will be super interested to see live. I well, feel like they way would to be... way to work in real quick that you've been lifting weights. I've been lifting weights. That's yeah. true. Um, and then last one is Overlook. I've spent a lot of time, especially on the Bearded Dicks musical fun time, talking about Overlook. And we've spent a lot of time off of. The Bearded Dicks musical fun time listening to Overlook. Yeah, so. well, with good reason. He put out he put out a bunch of different stuff. Some of it was like four artist compilation, like EP sampler type things, and a bunch of different collaborations. But he did two EPs that stand out, both on UVB seventy six. Um, one is all of them witches, which I reviewed previously. Has a sample from the witch in it, um, and some other good shit. Really, really fucking excellent. Probably my favorite thing he did this year but he did a more recent one called public image and the last song on that is like maybe my favorite song he's ever done it's really fucking nice it's got a more of a techno edge but still like his sort of like misty cinema cinematic musical language to it that's really awesome Mm -hmm. so so yeah as far as new releases for the year those are my big recommendations um, you know, there's there was a lot of good shit. There was a ton of good drum and bass, and like I picked up the fifth column four LP set from Rupture. That's just this like massive drum and bass um compilation that's like super interesting, and I'm still like kind of breaking down. Forest Drive West put out a new album on Livity Sound called Apparitions that I've heard some of, but I don't own it, so I didn't want to put it on the list. Um. The other other big one that was like I found out like a week I found it the week before the end of the year I'd heard of it all year and I've know some of the other artists in the genre but I just sort of was hesitant to check it out with Sophie's the oil of every pearl's unsides or something along those lines and it's this like super mutant like synth pop computer music bubblegum bass nightmare shit it's like FKA Twigs with like it's as sexy, but it's way more like, way less seductive and way more brutal mutant sex shit. Yeah. It's not making love; it's fucking. Yeah, <laughs> it is absolutely fucking. We were jamming to it the other night. It's really good, but it's also like I played the shit out of it, and I've already sort of burned it out in my mind. So I don't know that it's you know top ten material type of thing. Um, and I'm trying to think. I feel like there's a couple things that are slipping between the cracks. I listen to a lot more noise. Basically, the whole year was almost the whole year was either noise or drum and bass. And then there was like a two month period in the summer, which there normally is where it was a shitload of death metal. 
but I covered the best death metal releases to my taste. I haven't heard Tomb Mold. Everybody's been hot on Tomb Mold. Uh, they're supposed to be good, but I haven't heard them, so no spot from me. Um, and then I'll just briefly go into a couple reissues real quick. We haven't done a Bearded Dick in almost two months. And for those who know me, I am a massive record collector, and I consume a shitload of music. Yes, you do. So there's been a lot of recommendations I would have loved to have made in those past couple months, and that shit's going to either slip through the cracks or will come up in a later episode when I'm back on that train. Skrloma comes to mind, who's one of the artists uh, that used to be in Mothra with Linecraft, and he does this like wild, paranoid shit, but it has nothing to do with 2018 other than I listened to it this year. Um so I'll come back on that one, but reissues just real quick. So this year was a great year for reissues, uh, especially in noise and the following need to be noted. So there's Mote or Mote. I don't know how it's pronounced. It's because it's broken into two chunks. I believe it's probably Mote. Japanese Mote. Uh, <laughs> harsh noise artist who had um, some of his earliest works finally released um, through audio dissection and industrial recollections, specifically Life is a Peaceful New World and Cuffs, as in handcuffs, uh, were re-released on CD. These were reissues I didn't even know. I've, like, I had only heard of Mote from like really serious harsh noise heads mm -hmm. and, and like who had deep collections and otherwise he was never a person on my radar. I picked these up based on like the numerous recommendations that I read and they are some of the best Japanese noise I've ever heard. And just like, just an incredibly good harsh noise. And you fucking, especially the uh, Life in a Peaceful New World is like, I'm listening to it just thinking how, how could this have gone for so long, unrecognized and unknown and so limited. Like it is an incredibly good fucking harsh noise album. Um, so really huge recommendations on that. Genocide Organ re reissued their Mind Control album, which was, along with Save the Slaves, their, like, most... Or Clan Country, rather. Uh, their most, like, desired record, I think. And a lot of people say it's the highlight of their career. It's way more subdued than the stuff before and after it. Um, and I've had a rip forever of it, so it was a little less exciting because it was... I had heard it, right. um, but it has Hail America, which is like probably the best song they ever did, which starts with this part of a JFK speech and then just goes into this like fucking crashing rhythmic rugged synth line and screaming. And I miss them in LA sadly this year, but I understand that they played that and it was like people were screaming and carrying on and a bunch of people started zig heiling, even though they're not like a neo-Nazi band. It was like a whole big fucking thing. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, of course, I've happily pre-ordered the LP for Mind Control. It already sold out and is selling for hundreds of dollars. And the original version of the album sells for, like, 500 and up. I had an opportunity once to buy it for 300 bucks and passed it up because I was like, that's well, a lot of, that's a lot of money. Thing. Yeah. So I picked this up for, like, a mere 40 um, Final Solution, there was a compilation of a bunch of their demo uh seven inch tracks and unreleased stuff i think in a live set half dead put out by dare bunker who doesn't again shy away from unpleasant topics or controversial bands that was a fucking killer reissue that there was a whole bunch of behind the scenes bullshit they had to go through to get this tape to the people that wanted it and um i was privy to that but that's a story for a different day 
sadly, I missed Merzbow's um, or Merzbow's uh, reissue of Pulse Demon. It came out on some stupid, like limited label that mostly does vaporwave shit. They put out this like really gorgeous looking double LP of it and a cassette version of it, and it like immediately sold out within hours and is now selling for hundreds of dollars on Discogs. It's a super bummer because. The original Bull Steeman album is like one of his most famous albums ever, partially because it was on Relapse and had a ton of copies, whatever, whatever. But I did buy the Noise Embryo reissue on Hospital, which is really nice and sounds exceptionally good, but also is was like $50. And for a double LP, it just felt like... That's a lot of money. Yeah, like a lot of fucking money. And it's a really good reissue, but like it's, it was originally on CD and it's a Harsh Noise album. Like I would have just bought the CD if they had just made a reasonably priced CD copy because it's better suited for that format. Uh, But still, really nice reissue. I'm glad that they did it. They also reissued K2's The Rust, uh, which I'm anxious to hear. And then my last reissue recommendation is Transgressor's Twisting Brockus demo on cassette, which came out on some, like, I don't even know that it's... uh, Supposedly it's legit and licensed and all the rest, but... one of those like labels releasing like you know redos of uh demos represses of demos like old death metal stuff that you're like is this legit like it looks really nice it sounds really good but is it and basically like my understanding of the history of transgressor is that their album ether of scapegoat is basically just a bunch of tracks that were recorded and put on that demo and some other stuff and then all put together it doesn't sound to me like based because i own almost all of their discography in one form or another uh that the tracks were recorded i'd have to really sit down and like listen again but as far as my blind ear is concerned i'm pretty positive that if you own the recollected limbs compilation which has this demo on it and you own the ether for scapegoat cd and you listen to these tracks like back to back that are the same tracks they're the same recordings and that's fine they're awesome recordings but it's just really nice to have the five or four best songs they ever did on one cassette and it's got cool they're cool gross old artwork and i just fucking love like old japanese death metal like they they did not break ground or do anything that was that amazing but they just have like a generally an atmosphere and a vibe that um is unique and Japanese and always like sick ass art on their fucking demos. So, so I think we should trade off. I'm, I'm getting sick of hearing myself talk and I still have a lot more to say. So why don't you hit me with some of your, uh, big hot potatoes? Well, it's, it's interesting. Cause you know, I'm sitting here thinking about like the things that I've reviewed for the last year and the stuff that I've, um, done. And since we haven't recorded in a while, I've, I've got a pretty decent backlog of, Good shit. Yeah, of stuff like I'd like to review, mm-hmm. but I don't know how in-depth I want to go with some of them. But, hands down, I can tell you that by far, now I liked Red Dead 2. I, mm-hmm. I love Red Dead 2. I love that game, I do. But by far, the best game I've played, video game-wise, all year, Was last that new year. Harry Potter game for the... Lego Harry Potter. Yeah. No. Um... <laughs> No, it, the new God of War, man. It, oh, really? Really. Uh, so here's my thing. I loved Spider-Man for PS4. It was a great game. DLC came out. Didn't even think about buying it. Yeah. Because I came to realize that after I had 100%ed it, 
the game itself is fun. It's a lot of fun. But the story doesn't really have anything that I want to relive. Um, I feel like I did everything in the game. Sure. And I'm sure eventually I'll replay it. But as of right now, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Maybe when there's like a deal on the season pass where I can get like, I can pay like 20 bucks and have all of the DLC content that's ever going to come out for it. Yeah, I'll probably do that like I did with uh, Fallout 4. But God of War was one of the few games... Now, with me, I'll usually go really hard into a game, and then I'll take a little break, and then I'll finish it. God of War was the one I really didn't take a break with. Mm. I put a lot of hours in that game. Graphically, it's one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, Design-wise, the way they designed that world, and the whole Norse mythology thing is incredible the way they do it each thing that you do in the game each place you're at feels like it's real and fleshed out the world building it is very very good mm-hmm. uh, the voice acting is phenomenal the story is very good um, I might be stupid but I didn't and I'm not going to give away the ending but I didn't realize the ending until like about two seconds before they said it um because i was looking for a certain norse god the whole time and i was like what's what's going on and then the ending happens and i was like motherfucker but the game itself is is beautiful even like i have this thing in my mind i was thinking about the other day of the way the game starts out Mm -hmm. and it's you hit r1 which is your attack button in the game to start chopping down this tree. And, like, immediately you're in. Immediately you're playing and it's drawing you in. And that's, by far, complete-wise, my game of the year, the game that came out in 2018. That is, by far, the best. Still, go out and play Spider-Man. It's it's a fun experience. Um, I want to touch on another game that you and I put a decent amount of hours in and I think we should play more of, which is Enter the Gungeon. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's been one I've been wanting to talk about for a while. It but was that came out a couple years ago, right? True, but we played it this year. Yeah, right. last no, year. I hear you. Yeah, um, and it got ported to Switch this year. Okay, last year, twenty eighteen. It got ported to Switch in twenty eighteen. I buy all of my indie games personally on the Switch because it feels right to have games in that style in a handheld format as well. Yeah, and then being able to put them on my big screen. Um, it was done by Dodgeroll Entertainment, and I think it was published by Devolver. Okay. Uh, you and I put a decent amount of time in it. I put a good amount of time in it. I like playing alone, but it's a lot more fun to either have someone on the couch with you or play in tandem with them. The co-op is a lot of fun. Um, it does raise the difficulty level like it would in like Dark Souls or anything like that. And the player two is made to be only one character but it makes sense because all the other characters you can pick you'd probably be pretty overpowered yeah and get to the last level pretty easily yeah um but the game does have a difficulty curve it is a roguelike uh it is one of those games where you need to get into a rhythm yeah to really get into playing it yeah i mean it's and the thing that's nice is it's like there's a lot of visual distinction with everything for a game that's like never really bullet hell, but like you know is a shoot 'em up and all the rest, and you know, Cuphead is definitely a game that's easier as one player, uh, and I think 
almost more fun because with two people, it just everything gets harder. But it's also like you have two people. Same thing with Shovel Knight, where it's like yeah. a lot of stuff in it is just like easier if you're just by yourself. But it's Enter the Gungeon feels like it should be two player and is way more manageable visually, in my opinion, with two people. Like we still sometimes get each other mixed up on the screen, but not as often. Yeah, and you know, I'm a I'm a big proponent uh, for game developers or just uh, the big three, Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony, bringing back couch co-op. Because I'm not a person who really enjoys online gaming too much. Like, yeah. I don't go out for, like, PUBG, definitely not Fortnite. Uh, I don't go out for Overwatch. And I'm not saying anything, or, like, Call of Duty and that stuff, and I'm not saying anyone about anything. Let me start over. I'm not saying anything about anyone who plays those games yeah. unless you play Call of Duty. Um, you're a gamer bro and you suck, but it, it's just, it's not for me. Right. I, I grew up having someone sitting next to me that I could call um, a racial slur next to me yeah. uh, while getting angry at them. Yeah, I mean, and they've had that since NES all the way to the present, and it's like, especially I think you look at that SNES to like PlayStation 2 era was like at the height of when they did all those things. And a lot of those games were, like, partially because there was that arcade lineage of, like, two people playing together. Right. I mean, like, the sort of... I don't, I don't know if it's technically the golden era, but what I think of as the golden era, like, you know, whether it's the Simpsons beat-em-up games or House of the Dead 2 or fighting games or whatever. Marvel vs. Capcom. Yeah, but also having, like, games, too, with real stories or, like, real ability to play two players that are, like, legitimately fun. And, I mean, there are those games where, like, Until Dawn, where it's designed... It feels like, in some ways, it's designed to just easily pass it around between people you're playing yeah, with. Yeah, I honestly could not imagine playing Until Dawn alone. It would not be fun. I, I, and that game is amazing. Yeah. Story-wise, acting-wise, that game's really good. But I just... I personally can't imagine playing that game alone. Yeah. That seems... It feels wrong to me. Yeah. But then again, that same company also ended up making a game... Uh, name of it escapes me right now, which you have to play with multiple people. Like, the same idea where, like, it's decision-based and, like, butterfly effect and all that stuff, yeah. but it comes down to everyone connecting to the system with your phone and then everybody voting, so it's majority vote, so you have to play the game with other people. So I, I think they might have seen that, but... Yeah, um, yeah definitely, like, the game Enter the Gungeon is... $15. It was on sale for much cheaper on Switch Online. You can get it on everything. You can get it on PS4. You can get it on Xbox One. You can get it on your PC. I know the PC version is probably a lot easier to play. Um, I don't think I personally play it with anything but a gamepad because I like that difficulty there in the game. Well, I also think that, in my opinion, that would be a game... It would be actually better with a gamepad because it's like... Uh, I played Miami Vice Hotline Mi Hotline Miami uh, on the keyboard, and it was a pain in the fucking dick. And I switched over to my Xbox 360 controller, and it was so much better. And I think those types of top-down games, you know, you don't get the same accuracy as you would with a mouse, but if you're not in first person, that's it's not as important, and it's a shoot-em-up. Like, I, I do think it's a game designed to be played with a gamepad. Yeah. If I was going to play it on my computer, I would play with the 360 controller. Yeah. I, the Switch controllers are the issues because they're just tiny and for my the massive Joy hands. Are the issue. Yeah, but otherwise, I think it is it is best for that. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't play 
an obscene amount of new games this year. Um, and if I did, probably didn't review them because they were pretty forgetful. Yeah, but um, Red Dead Two I still haven't finished, so that's why uh, God of War is definitely my top game of the year. Um, I've also been playing Hollow Knight, but I'm nowhere near finished that, and that game is a lot of fun. Mm. But I, I definitely recommend going out and checking out some of the indie games that are out there right now. I think we're doing a lot of good. You want to do a bad buy on Assassin's Creed? Yes, I do. See, that's one I just forgot. I bought it and then immediately got rid of it. Um, I did buy, like, the stupid consumer whore I am. Mm -hmm. I did buy Assassin's Creed Odds. Did that come out last year? No, that was, it was 2018, yeah. Was that 2018? Oh, yeah. I thought, the, I thought no, I bought, I bought Origins. I thought, wasn't Odyssey 2018? Yeah, the Egypt one. They both came out last year? No, I don't know. Whatever the Egypt one is. The Egypt one is Origins. Hold on, now i got to find out. But I'm still going to review it anyway. Ass, ass, ends, creed, origins. Release date. Nope. That was 2017, my friend. Oh. But I'll touch on it because it was one of the few newer games I ended up buying. That game's garbage. It's buggy. Um, fuck you, Ubisoft. Stop making shit games. Uh, make a good game again. Um, Stop making the same game and shittier. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't good. I haven't played the new one. I am burned too badly at this point to ever, ever, ever play those games again. Um, and if you enjoyed it, I'm happy for you. I wish I could have enjoyed it, but I did not, and I wasted $60 on it. Yeah. I've never played an Assassin's Creed game, and I don't think I ever will. It does not appeal to me. Um, I do have another bad buy, personally, for me. Uh, I didn't spend that much money on it, to be fair, though, so it's not like... The worst buy. It's not the worst buy. But uh, Sundered Eldritch Edition did come out for uh, the Switch this past year. Um, you played a little bit of it. Yeah. I don't like it. I think it doesn't flow well for a game that's meant to be that fast. I don't like the fact that it's roguelike mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be a Metroidvania. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very critical about Metroidvanias. Yeah. Uh, it's. From what I understand, I haven't played too much of it. I played, like, maybe an hour. It's procedurally generated Metroidvania. So, like, I yeah. guess you have to go back to other points to get to. I don't know. But it, the art style is cool. I thought I got I got roped in because it got good scores on stuff, and I personally just didn't like it. Yeah. Um, if you're going to spend money on a indie Metroidvania, I'd say either go Hollow Knight or go... Um, what was the other one I was playing? The with the shooties and the stuff and the lab coat. You played. Oh that, right? yeah, uh, Axiom Verge. Axiom Verge. That game's great. I think the story is a little not as good because um, it's a little bit uh, convoluted at points. But Hollow Knight, man, I've been playing Hollow Knight. I'm gonna do a few full review for it later, but aesthetically, it's awesome. Uh, the gameplay is something that I like because it's real simple. It's not too much. Um, and it, it's a good game. You can get it for like 10 bucks, 9 bucks, something like that. It's real cheap. So yeah, it supports indie developers, which is definitely a good thing because they're the only people playing, uh, making Metroidvania-style games anymore, and it's something that uh, the Dick and I have been enjoying greatly recently. Yeah. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So part of my 
exceptional into the year was I got a PS4 for Christmas, which was a wildly unexpected gift from none other than Flex Lexa. And in a sort of hilarious turn of abouts, turnabouts, turn turn of events, a turn of events. Yeah. Uh, I wound up purchasing Castlevania Requiem, which is Castlevania Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night. Games that are 15 and 11 years old, respectively, to play on my brand new PS4 Pro. So, Which, at full price, which is, I know the sale's over now, is $20. Go out and fucking buy it. What are you yeah, doing? Yeah. Keep the podcast on. Don't turn it off. But go find a PlayStation 4, turn it on, go on the PSN, and buy that shit. Yeah. So I've never played a Castlevania game before in my life. And was... No, that's not true. I played Mirror of Fate for the DS, which was... Not great, and not really a Castlevania game. So it was very... I've always wanted to play Symphony of the Night, or I should say in the last like five to ten years I've been interested, but just never sort of pulled Because I've brought it up to you several times. That's part of it, yeah. And Rondo of Blood I've heard about and sort of has a famous storied legacy because it's supposed to be exceptional and only came out for the PC Engine in Japan, and then they did like this butchered port for the uh, SNES here, and... I was immediately smitten with Rondo of Blood because it's... I've seen a lot of Castlevania footage, and it's like this... It's the perfect version of what they did with all the original NES games. And um, it doesn't have all the control that you have in the Super NES version, but it's just, like, really well-designed, really fun. The music is fucking awesome, and I just sort of blew through it pretty quickly. And for a game that's legendarily hard, it is hard. It's not as hard as some of the earliest incarnations, but was challenging in a way that was, like, felt fair, kind of sometimes, and then... But maybe want to keep playing and get better at it, and I'm just about to 100% it, but really enjoyed that and jumped into that but then we also jumped into symphony of the night which is you know by far one of my top five favorite games it's up there it doesn't beat link to the past but i'd say it's probably a close second yeah i mean i was i was not surprised by how much i like that i liked it but i was surprised by how much i liked it and it was way better than anything i thought it would be and i wound up getting 100 percent on the map and I don't have, like, uh, every single achievement in the game yet, but I did a ton of shit and basically, like, did everything I could almost do in a single playthrough with it so far and did it pretty quickly and, again, was kind of surprised. It's not it's not nearly as brutal as Rondo of Blood, but it's a different kind of game. Right. And there are things that you can do to become wildly OP, one of which is get this shield rod and then specific shield that when you activate its special ability... You just hold the shield up, and it does, like, infinite... Basically just does, like, never-ending damage to anything you touch and heals you simultaneously and gives you hearts back. What? And, yeah, basically broke the game. So I had two... <laughs> one optional boss left who was, like... Had a health pool that was gargantuan, and I had been trying to beat him for a couple hours, and then I got that combo and beat him. I just walked into him, and then he just dies. And then... Okay. So... But yeah, huge recommendation there. That was definitely one of my highlights. A, while, a very unexpected turn as far as my gaming went for the year. And as far as other games go... Well, I want to touch a couple more things on um, Symphony of the Night. Yeah. I had never played it in Japanese. Oh, yeah. And for me, that definitely adds something. There's always going to be a soft spot in my heart for the awful, 
terrible American voice acting they did for... I'll let you know, though, right now, that that voice acting is gone. It's the They did a later port of it for, I think, the the PSP or the Vita, or when they put it on some other thing, it doesn't have the original dub. Really? Yeah, you can't. You can't. You can't, you can't play it in English? You can play it in English, but not with that dub. Oh, okay. Well. But yeah. What is man but a miserable pile of secrets? Yeah. How about you? Yeah. I, I have to say, as someone who's a giant weeb, uh, not enough to have my profile picture as an anime picture, but pretty close. Most of mine are. Yeah. Um, that's actually true. Yeah. Shit. You're a bigger weeb than I am. I know. Fuck. I've got Cami on my PS4, and I've got the... Masamune Shiro Sniper Girl is my I Steam profile. I jerk off the more shonen manga than you do. True. Anyway, um, it definitely added something to it for me, like hearing actual voice acting, and also it just being in Japanese felt like yeah more pure, more serious. I guess you know yeah. I'm I'm a simple man. I I prefer subs over dubs if I can get it. Yeah. But yeah, no, that game was a lot of fun, and it reignited a lot of old loves for me so it was really nice to play it again and I was so stoked when I found out they were putting it to PS4 well the nice thing about what I think makes the game so successful and I we played some Axiom Verge together I liked that game but it definitely felt I could go for the convoluted story and I really liked the art direction, but the gameplay itself was not as polished and perfect and fun as it could have been. Well, it's also more Metroid than it is Vania. Sure, but even the only Metroid game I've played to completion is Metroid 2 for the Game Boy, which is a good game, but not even the best Metroid game, and I like would way prefer to just replay that over Axiom Verge. I just didn't like the way the weapons felt for the most part, um, which is a big deal in a game where you're shooting stuff, but... In Castlevania Symphony of the Night, they constantly reward you for everything you're doing. And it's just small incremental awards, but it makes you just want to keep playing. Like, enemies can drop weapons, but they mostly drop bullshit. Um, you know, the exploration always rewards you with some awesome items. Sometimes they're just to get to the next place, but a lot of times it's just, like, extra cool shit, which you may use once, but, like, it's just really... It feels... It's similar to Dark Souls in that way because Dark Souls is, always has a prize at the end of the tunnel for the most part, even if it's just somebody's douchey soapstone telling you to jump from a ledge that'll kill you. And, you know, that sort of aspect of it is just infinitely rewarding and makes you just keep playing on it. And it reminds me, and clearly, I sort of knew this, but now playing it, I can see how obvious it is. The dark Western medieval fantasy setting had a huge impact on Dark Souls, being that it's that kind of setting generally, but, like, specific weapons and enemy types and all sorts of shit show up in Dark Souls. Yeah. And since I'm a massive Dark Souls player, I was like, oh, this is just Berserk and Symphony of the Night together. This is, like, that's literally, like, I'm like, oh. Yeah, uh, the being rewarded for doing the exploration, it, to, if, if for our listeners who have played as many classic games as I or the dick have, uh, it definitely reminds me of my playthrough of Far Cry 3, mm. where oh, yeah. you could just technically beat the game pretty quickly if you just run through the story, or you can explore a little bit more and do things that seem like uh, drawing out tasks and seem uh, like things you don't necessarily want to do, 
but are still fun and get overpowered really fucking quick and yeah. just destroy. Yeah, well, that, which I always appreciate. And and it is sort of has a similarity as far as that goes. Where, I mean, Far Cry Three, you you are wildly overpowered if you do half of the side shit you can do by the time you leave the first island. You can't beat the game. The game doesn't end there. Yeah. But whereas Castlevania, you can get a false bad ending and not see the second half of the yeah, game. Like the one you got. Yeah, like the one I got. But it is cool that in Castlevania, you're wildly OP by the time you finish the first castle if you do most of the stuff. But then you get to the second castle, and it's like, if you didn't do that, you're going to get fucking trounced. Mm-hmm. And then you can be wildly OP by the end of that. But it's it's a whole fucking process. And yeah, so I was... I agree. It's it's nice, and it's nice to come back to areas that were kicking your ass before. It's the same in Dark Souls. I mean, Dark Souls is always going to be one of the most brutal as far as you can always get punished for slacking off in the first game area, you know, as easily as you can in late game areas, or almost as easily. And Castlevania is more forgiving than that. But yeah, it, it rewards. I I want to go through. I don't want to make this too too long of an episode. But I do want to touch on a couple live sets real quick, and then I'm going to go back to one game and touch a couple movies, and then you can hit me with the rest of what you got, good sir. Um, So, easily, no question, highlight of the year as far as live shows go was seeing Linecraft in New York at the hospital showcase. I went with my friend Daffy, and she and I had a blast generally. It was a really weird lineup with a lot of electronic music, and then the noise stuff was... People that, to me, for the poll that Dominic has, I was surprised by the people he chose to have be there, partially. But it didn't really matter, any of that. Mersbo played and headlined the, the end of the main portion of the festival. And that was great, and it was cool. Although I was... I was I walked away disappointed. I mean, it was... Part of it was I was so fucking tired, my knees hurt, my back mm-hmm. hurt, and I'd been there all fucking day. Um, but compared to what Linecraft did, like he just, there was an incredibly awesome visual component that was just all of the sort of bombed out World War II factory industrial imagery you could imagine. Um, he had these two huge steel drums that he beat with giant steel rods of differing sizes and didn't do it nearly as much as I hoped he would, but he got like really into it. And there was all this like, you know, physical rhythm with oil, drum and metal, the classic industrial sound. And then on top of that, he had backing structures of synth and, and stuff played on tape, it seemed like. And it the songs flowed. You got, like, real full tracks with full performances and, it, like, really interesting vocals. Every track was different, samples mixed in here and there. But the, the highlight of the whole thing was at one point he took off his shirt, like, 15 minutes into the performance, and he's, like, a fucking jack Japanese dude who's a little bit older-looking and has these sick-ass fucking dragon tattoos and shit, and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and then he had uh, a tape player in the one hand, and he would, like, turn it on and fast-forward and rewind and whatever, and it would just sound like sort of a tape player being you know, wildly overloaded with electricity, and then he would, like, twist and contort and throw his body around as if he was being struck by electricity while he was doing it, and then scream, holding the mic with the other hand. And it was so fucking cool and so effective and it didn't feel contrived or anything it just felt like raw power like being forced through this japanese dude's body it was fucking awesome and um i just was basically speechless after that and everything else was good but like nothing compared to linecraft uh i saw ride for revenge twice earlier this year i played with them the one night and i was just there to watch the next 
That was fucking awesome. They had a bunch of good openers, Human Agony, Reptile Womb, Striations. Basically, everybody was pretty fucking on point. Um, our set was not perfect, so that was disappointing. But seeing Ride for Revenge, a band I used to love so much and still really love, but like, I don't drink and do drugs the way I used to, and they were definitely a band that I did a lot of drinking yeah. and drugs to. Um, but regardless, to see them do their fucking Invocation Live was just really exceptional. And then the other one I'll point to, there was a bunch of other good shows. Um, Boy Harsher in Philly, they're like the best synth, dark wave, minimal wave, whatever band going right now. This is the most sexually charged synth pop performance type thing I'd ever seen. And then at the same time, like dancey and atmospheric and just, they did a lot of different stuff very effectively. Um, I played a show with Cooter, Legless, and Sex and then saw them the next night in Philly. That was awesome. Good dudes all around, just like really good noise stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, like change your life kind of a noise show, but it was just really two good nights of really good noise, really enjoyable, good dudes, uh, all projects to watch. Legless is like fucking, especially killing it with harsh noise, but the Cooter stuff is super interesting too. And the tour tape he did for that is really good. I don't have, unfortunately, any sex recorded material, but last couple things. Ben and I, we played Clock Tower for the, the, the Super NES, and we played the fan-translated version because it never came out. It's from 1995. It's one of the first survival horror games, but it's like a point-and-click adventure. It's fucking awesome. It is fucking awesome. I dropped 50 bucks on the... 4CD soundtrack set. The soundtrack is so good. It, it, like, coming out of a SNES, I'm just like, no way. It's it's hugely inspired, openly inspired by Dario Argento, specifically Suspiria and Phenomena. We haven't seen Phenomena, amazingly. Not, yeah. The main character is just like a 16-bit copy of Jennifer Connelly as a teenager. There's a scene that's essentially ripped from Suspiria. That, yeah, don't spoil, I'm but, not, but so good. And um, it, it's... It's famous. There's a PS1 game that we haven't beaten yet, although we almost have, that it's fun to play it because we played the first one, but as far as like the graphical changes of doing early polygonal survival horror, it's just fucking rough. Yeah, but th that's, that's not even an excuse because Resident Evil 1 and 2 came out for Well, PS1. but they were on Capcom and this right. was Atlas. The thing is, like the gameplay itself is okay, mm -hmm. but I very much think that it would be a very tough game for anyone to play by themselves. Whereas the original SNES one oh, yeah. was atmospheric and the animations for it were great, the sprite work was great, the music, as you said, was incredible, the storyline was pretty good. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't terrible, it was a pretty good storyline. Um, but that game for a SNES game, that's the only SNES game that I can honestly say, like, actually had me jump a few times. Yeah, no, the first time we played it, we played it in the dark, incense burning. I was making maps on note cards. I mean, we really... It was awesome. Yeah, we really had a... so cool. A, a blast. And then the second night was sort of, we knew what we were getting into, and we got to a place where we hit a wall and had to use a guide, which sort of sucked it out. Sucked a little bit of the mystery out of it. To be fair... It's obtuse as fuck. Yeah, it, and it wasn't necessarily our fault. We just weren't doing something right. Yeah. So. And also we had some issues because it was glitching a couple times. Yeah. And it was like you you couldn't read what was 
happening in it's a game where there's not a lot of text, and when there is, you need to know what the fuck it says. So. Yeah, so you're probably not going to be able to get a legit copy of it in you can, English. You can't. Well, no, uh, that's not... Well, they have, like, these... They're pirated, so it's not legit, but they do, like, sell cartridges that have the fans translated version in it that are yeah. as expensive as buying a Japanese copy. It's crazy. I don't feel bad about telling you to play it on a ROM if you can, because it's so out of date that... Anyone who could make money off it isn't able to make money off of it. Yeah, nobody anyway. was involved in the original. I mean, and and not to get into a huge side conversation, but if you're talking about out of print media, the only people that make money from you buying it are people that are reselling it. Like the original creators don't see a dollar of that. So if you want to download an album that you can't get other than to buy from somebody who's selling it secondhand or a video game or a movie, like. As far as I say, I fully advocate for pirating it because there's no benefit, like nobody loses out except for the person who's scalping it. Like, you know, you're going to just help decrease an otherwise inflated market with the internet. But I definitely, man, that's a good game. Definitely play it any way you can. And I will say that the, the, it's worth playing if you enjoy the first one, play the one for PlayStation. It's fucking rough in a lot of ways, but it's, and it's hilarious unintentionally in a lot of ways. There's a part where you throw a blanket on the murderer yeah. to get out of the room, which but, is... Silly. Yeah. But I, I do think the it's in the amnesia style of basically you can do some things to prolong the inevitable, but you can't actually truly fight back against the person hunting you. I feel like that's an unfair comparison for amnesia. But yeah. Why? Because that's amnesia the is much better better yeah well sure but i mean you know we're talking 15 years difference in technology but anyways i just think it's the the second game has its good qualities the soundtrack is probably the best of all of them um as far as good qualities go but it's it's interesting they pick up the tail where it left off and not that they should have but they did and it's still fun to play um so yeah and then i did a a four film giallo festival called uh, giallo natale which was like yellow christmas and it was put on by exhumed films in philadelphia they played four films on their original 35 millimeter uh prints unfortunately ben the beardo could not come with me no because you guys have not told us to start a patreon and paid us to keep this going and i have to work at my horrible job yeah so uh i just went with flex lexa they played blade in the dark they played argento's Inferno and Opera and then they played this other ridiculous movie called Formula for a Murder. That was one of the best things of the year. It was a ton of fun. It was it was just really cool to see those movies like in Italian on film. There was all sorts of like the film was not in pristine condition. It just made it better. Um, we had a lot of fun doing that. And then new movies. I know you're going to touch on it so I'll just say briefly Hereditary was fucking great. Awesome. It's still I I've rewatched it I think twice now since we saw it in theaters together, mm-hmm. which I remember because I was asking I was like, "Yo, we should go see Hereditary." And you were like, mm, "I saw it." And for a split second I was legitimately mad at you, but you came and saw it with me anyway. And I was sick too. Yes. I really didn't want to do that. And but, sexy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'll let you go into that more. I, I did like it, but as far as I've said before, new horror films go, The Witch is easily the high watermark for me, and I liked Hereditary, but I thought it was really effective acting performances, good writing, the whole nine. I just is for the kind of horror that I like, not really 
as much. You don't like ghosties. It's not even that I don't demons. like ghosties. It's just yeah, it's more of that. Like it's. It's very hard for you to get into supernatural stuff. Yeah. And the witch Which was is the exception. The witch is, yeah, yeah. so surprising. Um, I also was totally wowed by Deadpool 2, of all movies. I And I, I know there's probably a movie or two I missed this year, but I didn't see very much in the theaters. And I really, I watched Deadpool 2 on a whim. I was listening to Wham! and I thought of Deadpool... And then I watched Deadpool 2, and I like it brought tears to my eyes toward the end. It, I thought it was just like super effective. I liked it infinitely more than the first movie, which I liked more as I rewatched it um, after seeing the first one in theaters. Anyway, but like this was just like super good. I love Josh Brolin, and I really liked Infinity War. I thought Infinity, I loved War, Infinity War was really well done, but Deadpool 2 was like felt like. It was. I love the fucking X Men. Like that was the shit for me growing up. That was the only comic book stuff I really cared about. And we were young boys. Of course, we loved Deadpool. Yeah. Right. Well, but I didn't even know Deadpool. But it was. I knew Cable. I knew everybody else in this movie, and so it was just really, really good to me. I really liked it, and I would recommend it to anybody. It's good, and you know, regardless of being a comic book film. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, a movie. Well, I'll. I'm not going to talk too much about Hereditary, but... Can we can we both briefly just... Uh, the one thing that we saw, one of the things we saw this year that wasn't from this year, but we both saw for the first time together was Shin Godzilla, which is oh, fucking man. awesome. man. Yo, honestly, okay, I've watched a lot of Godzilla films. Me too. Both all the new American ones, the original American ones, a shitload of the original Japanese ones, and I can honestly say that Shin Godzilla is my favorite Godzilla movie. Yeah. And it, I mean... We're not, like, the most hardcore Evangelion fans, although I fucking love Evangelion, but... Evangelion is an anime that we saw later in our anime careers, and I honestly think changed the way I look at a lot of anime. Sure. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, that show is great. Ending is a little wonky. I think we talked about that. Yeah, well, probably. And then, But then it all gets fixed by doing the end of Evangelion. Like, yeah. That erases all sins because that movie's fucking phenomenal. Yeah. And Shin Godzilla is basically uh, the end of Evangelion with Godzilla instead of angels. Yeah, there's a lot of the same bureaucracy that happens, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and it seems to be a lot more uh, rooted in... I want to say realism, albeit... Listen, the original Godzilla is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Oh, yeah. Okay. That movie is great, and it had a point to prove, um, which wasn't necessarily Godzilla, you know? Yeah. Shin Godzilla is... The point to prove is Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, it's great. I love the design they did on him. I love that weird fish boy that originally comes out. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're probably not going to get another one. No. But Dick Fenny and I definitely have to watch the non-English uh, version because, unfortunately, the only way we could rent it on Amazon Prime it's was dope. the English was the dub version. And I called Amazon. Yeah. I got on the phone with Amazon. It was, it was like, like a thirty-minute thing. Can I get this in Japanese? And they're like, no. Which yeah. is not on them. You That's know, a very fault, simplified version of yeah. the conversation. It was a whole ordeal. They and were very helpful. Thank you, Amazon. But they, there's nothing they could really do. Um, but yeah, no. Shin Godzilla. Watch that movie. If yeah. you like Godzilla, 
watch that movie. If you're not sure you like Godzilla, watch, watch that, that movie. movie. And yeah. if you don't got like Godzilla, why are you listening to our podcast? Yeah, Fuck you. Yeah. Um, it's probably something we're not going to end up reviewing on the podcast since uh, all three of your hosts watched it together. I know you didn't feel that strongly about it, but I fucking loved Mandy. Oh, yeah. I really did. I'm not going to say too much else about it. I like Beyond the Black Rainbow more, but I definitely think it's worth a watch. Uh, one of my favorite horror movies to come out this year, you have yet to watch, but I'm going to make you watch it. You watched the original with me this year, uh, which is Puppet Master of the Littlest Reich. Oh, yeah. I'm oh, super into man. that. Yeah. We have to watch that movie together. It's funny. Um, wow, I'm forgetting the guy's name, but the guy from Reno 911 who played Lieutenant Dangle. Yeah. He's a big comedy guy. He plays the main character in it. There's a really sexy Bond lady, and surprisingly, you could see her boobies, and I did not see that. There's puppets. There's... there Nazis. There's Nazis. It's... It's not the original storyline. It's a reimagining of the whole thing. Um, and it's great. It's great. Uh, Fulci... No, I'm sorry. Um... Uh, Fritzi did the score for it. Right, right. Which was incredible. The movie is, it's, it knows what it is. It, you can't make a serious horror movie about, yeah, you can't, well, at this point, yeah. you know, where we are in the horror movie industry and everything, you can't make a serious movie about puppets killing people. Yeah. It, it's not gonna come out too well, um, or it's gonna come off as like a, it's so bad, it's funny. They knew what they were doing, they knew what it was. And it was great. Yeah. I thought it was a lot of fun. I watched it on a whim uh, just one afternoon. I was like, I love Puppet Master. I'm going to check this out. And I was legitimately blown away. Yeah. Well, and I do I did want to circle back. I mean, so we watched, yeah, we watched the original Puppet Master this year, which was fun. It was different than what I expected. And damn, it's a little bit slow in places, but mm -hmm. it, it gets you there. And it's it's to see the puppets do what they do is pretty awesome. We watched the trailer for The Littlest Reich, and I am definitely on board. I sort of forgot that we were going to do that. Uh, but I do want to just briefly touch on Mandy. Yeah, I was not in love with it. I liked a lot about it, but I just had certain issues with it. Um, that being said, it's definitely worth watching. It's one of those movies, though, that for me is partially... Well, I... I went into it as blind as possible and made my own conclusion, but I've been reading reviews from people since then, and it, it's one of those movies that gets the kind of people that write reviews that make me just want to, like, leap through the screen and choke people to death. People who have, like, no understanding of horror movies or no understanding of all sorts of different stuff, and then they come in and either say it's the best thing ever, it's the worst thing ever, but their opinions are always so like, missing the mark and just, or, like, an attempt to be on top of the zeitgeist and be, you know, oh, this is the greatest thing because everybody else thinks it's the greatest thing and it's so trippy and it's this and it's that. And it's like, as somebody who worshipped Beyond the Black Rainbow, um, to me it's like using the bag of tricks there in a bigger budget sort of thing, partially, and then there's a bunch of other stuff. It's a very different movie, but it was just like all the things I liked, I liked the way they were done and used better in mm -hmm. Beyond the Black Rainbow. And everybody who thinks it's, like, the newest, greatest things in sliced bread is, like, do your fucking homework. And not to say don't like it, but...
But, like, do your fucking homework. Like, this isn't the second coming of Christ. It's just, like, a trippy movie. But well, my thing is, I don't think I'd love that movie as much if Nicolas Cage weren't in it. Sure, yeah. I think I would be like, that was okay. Yeah. Unless it was somebody who did an equally insane performance. But you sort of have... There's more... Because of the baggage that Nicolas Cage comes with, it, like, just elevates everything in a whole different way. Like, it adds an element to the movie that goes beyond what the movie actually is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, and I, I wanted to mention real quick, um, another movie by, like, a like a director, Artur, um, Lance Von Trier, was The House of Jack Belt. I watched it, I enjoyed it. I think I need to give it a second watch, because very much like Mandy, it's either this movie was really stupid, or this movie was a masterpiece. And I'm still not sure how I feel about that one. Yeah. I think the acting in it was great. Uh, I think there was some directorial choices that just came off to me as like being a little like, oh, I'm so art housey. Like, look what I'm doing. This means things, and I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay. Yeah. But like the story was great. The music cues and everything were great. The acting was great. There was just some choices that I think I need to rewatch it to fully understand and and really get into. Uh, wait though. Uh, the only way for you to rent it right now is for six ninety nine, um, because it's still in theaters in some places. Yeah, uh, which is pretty not cheap for a movie that you may or may not like, and it's two and a half hours long. Uh, one last thing I wanted to mention, media wise, even though it didn't come out this year, uh, it's something I got into this year, and the second season came out this year, I think. Um, now I know Shonen anime is not really your jam, but, um, I've been watching My Hero Academia and it makes me happy in a way that anime has not made me happy since like, I think Dragon Ball Z. Mm. Not that like anime that I watch nowadays doesn't make me happy, but I feel like an emotional connection to it and I obsess over it. Yeah. Um, much more than like, I do a lot of other animes that have like a that's probably the way that I I felt. I mean, I loved Tenchi Muyo when I was a kid. That move, that show felt personal to me, even though it was so fucking absurd. So, I feel like, is that the kind of thing you're talking about, or sort of? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm invested in these characters um, much more than I am in a lot of other animes I watch. Like Shinji, I'm like Shinji, shut the fuck up. Yeah. But Midoriya Deku in that series is just so good and so heartfelt. The only, like, and I've been on a shounen anime kick. I finally started watching Hunter Hunter, which I also love, which is done by the guy who did Yu Yu Hakusho. Oh, okay. Um, and the thing I find interesting about Hunter x Hunter is it's that very old style anime, like he did for Yu Yu Hakusho. Like, that very old, not as. Where, so, like, my hero is very clean and stylized and, like, newer age anime and animation, whereas. Hunter Hunter is that, like, older, like, very, like, simplistic head shapes, and everyone's, uh, everyone's, like, the silhouette rule where when you design an anime character, you want them to be recognizable by the silhouette. Hunter x Hunter is, like, all the characters look so different. It has that, like, you can, like, you can be like, that's gone. My Hero Academia has that too, but to, like to a much lesser degree. Like mm. I feel like if I saw certain characters and I didn't know it was My Hero, I wouldn't know who it was except for certain characters like All Might. 
And I didn't think I'd get so into something that's essentially about high school students who are training to be superheroes. Mm -hmm. But it's very heartfelt and... Strangely enough, I really do love the English dub, partially because the guy who plays All Might, which is one of like the he's like the end all to be all of the heroes, um, is played by the guy who did the English dubbing, whose name is escaping me, for Spike. Major no, for Major Armstrong from Full Metal Alchemist, which uh, is my favorite yeah. anime. Um, and it's just so perfect. Now I have watched most of the series almost all the series in uh, subbing, but it's great. And I wanted to touch on my favorite thing this year, which was I found out I was going to be a dad, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, I don't need to go too into that. I had sex. I was there. It happened. And now I'm going to have a cool baby who um, is may going may to be... May or may not be a spider. May or may not be a spider and possibly scarred when his mother finds out that I'm showing him horror movies way too young. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. I do look forward to uh, bestowing gifts that are inappropriate for his age and safety. Which I am so excited for. Yeah, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, the one thing I was thinking, talking about anime, that I did not get to finish, we only really kind of got into, although I think you watched the whole thing, was Devilman Crybaby. I haven't finished it yet. Oh, okay. So that was really good, and I believe that's from this year, correct? Yes, yeah. yes. So that was pretty sweet from what I saw, but we'll have to give you a full report. Yeah, we'll give you a full report on that. Uh, Dick Fetty and I have a lot of anime backlog we had to finish. Uh, we got into JoJo a couple, a few years ago, and we just haven't finished it. We need to get back into it. I know I can hear the internet screaming at us right now. Mm. This is perfect for you guys. You guys are fucking idiots. You love it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that people who watch it are idiots, but we're idiots, so... We'll get there. Devilman Crybaby, though. Beautiful animation. Really, really, really nice. Um, yeah, it reminds me of Foodie Cootie a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that club scene. Yeah. Man, that club scene. Well, it's good. So good. So, yeah, that's uh, that's our recap of the year. Good year, good times, good shows, good music. I'll do my best to sort of squeeze everything into the Instagram post as I can, but I think we're limited to ten pictures, so we'll see what happens. Try to pull the best from the best. So thank you for listening. As always, we really appreciate it. We hope you guys heard about something new that you can check out or had your opinions reaffirmed and therefore your ego was inflated. Uh, at the very least, maybe you can uh, just bask in the warm glow of our love for the various media that we consume. But yeah, thank you. Um, uh. As always, check out our Instagram and our Facebook, Motel Podcast. We've got an email, Motel tellhellpodcast at gmail.com uh, most importantly if you can rate and review us on iTunes that would be sick helps us get out there a little bit more and if there's anything you're interested in hearing us talk about as far as music movies video games go manga books shoot us an email shoot us a DM yeah and if there's any subjects you want us to cover that we haven't covered yet you can email us at motelhellpodcast at gmail.com yep um if you want to add, if you want to look for me on Instagram, I think mine's private, but it's Ben the Beardo. If I think you're cool, I'll let you follow me. If not, I won't. There you go. That's it. I really just post memes and occasionally pictures of my cats or things I'm consuming with my eye holes. Mm, love that. All right, guys. Take it easy. Later, nerds. Later, nerds.